Garrett's Log, 9.14.21 hours. I was reading The War of Art yesterday, and uh, it's a pretty short book, so I finished it again. Stephen Pressfield, the author in it, talks about a friend of his who is an oncologist, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, his friend, the oncologist, would tell him about, oh no, he, my mistake, not an oncologist. Um, he was a therapist that worked with cancer patients who had gotten like a diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis. One of the things that he talked about is that when a patient came in having just received the worst news in the world that they are dying of cancer, you know, they've got so much time to live, you know, his, his goal was to help them accept that news and work through the emotions and, and go through that process. And one of the first things he would have them do is start thinking about what they wanted to do with the time that they had left. And he would often encourage them to start pursuing something, you know, things that they had not pursued, but they've always wanted to. What Pressfield refers to as sort of our unlived lives, you know, was there, had they always wanted to play piano? Had they always had a passion for volunteering, but never got into it, you know, taking care of the homeless or, you know, something like that, any kind of pursuit that they had left unfinished in their life or they'd never taken up just because they never had the time or thought they never had the time. And he would encourage them to actually take up those pursuits, you know, write that novel you've always wanted to write, for example. And that's one of the therapeutic techniques he would use to help them get through this this end-of-life transition. But a strange thing would often happen. You know, they would start uh, this new pursuit, this thing that they had never um, spent any time doing before, and they would get going on it. You know, they'd start writing that novel. They'd start, you know, advocating for the homeless like they'd always wanted to. They'd start, you know, building dollhouses, I don't know, whatever it was that they wanted to do, they would start doing it. And the interesting thing that would happen with a lot of these patients, they would go into remission. And this is a really fascinating point that Pressfield makes. He's essentially positing the question, is it possible that by denying our true calling in life and our true purpose, our bodies take a kind of revenge or they pay the balance of that debt in our health. You know, getting the news that the ride's over and you've got a few months to live, you know, it liberated many of these patients to pursue the thing that they'd always thought they didn't have time for. And the irony is that for many of them, it resulted in their cancer going into remission. It resulted in healing. So I've been thinking about that a lot the last couple of days. That is unlived lives. Pressfield puts an interesting question to the reader. If 
you were the last person on Earth, the thing that you're doing, would you still do it? He argues that if Arnold Schwarzenegger were the last man on Earth, he'd still show up at the gym and work out because that's it's just what he's meant to do. I kind of thought about that, and I asked myself, you know, if I were the last man on Earth, would I still write books? And, you know, oddly, I, my first instinct was, well, no, <laughs> because who would read them? Although, I have to say, I read my own work a lot, and I find it quite enjoyable. So, I don't know, maybe I would actually keep writing, but that was this was one of these moments I get often when I started to panic a little because I'm like, oh God, have I just uncovered the truth? I'm not really a writer. I shouldn't be doing this. I don't really love it. But I thought about it and I realized that no, I might not write novels if I were the last person on earth. I mean, seriously, every human being is gone. The world is in decay. I'm the only human being left. Am I really going to sit down at a desk and write a novel for no one to read but myself? I really don't think so. I mean, I might write, journal, record my experiences, but then I actually got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know, what I might actually do is start writing down the history of humanity or gathering it from libraries, I don't know, preparing a little time capsule package for whatever hypothetical future humans or future discoverers might be wanting to piece together what had happened, you know. But then I got to thinking about it. Maybe a more useful question for me is if civilization were over, and I was one of only a very handful, a very tiny number of humans left, would I still write? And the answer to that was actually a pretty fast yes. Because while I might not write, I mean, who knows what the state of literacy would be in the post-apocalypse, but while I might not write, I would still create stories, always. I would tell stories to the kids around the campfire, I would want to put on plays, because obviously there's no movie theaters anymore, but there we could still do performances. Uh, there's a really great scene in that film, Reign of Fire, which is about a post-apocalyptic world in which dragons have reawakened, and they've basically wiped out most of humanity, and the survivors are hiding from the dragons, Christian Bale movie. Um, and there's a great scene in the beginning where he and the other you know, the elders of the community are putting on a stage performance of Star Wars for the children who, of course, have never seen any, a movie before and have never seen Star Wars. And it's really pretty charming. I would definitely do that. I would do that. So the interesting thing is if I were one of only a very small number of people left, if civilization were over, I would still be a storyteller. And if I were the last man on earth, truly, I might not be a book writer or a screenwriter, but I would still be a storyteller because, hell, if, if it's like, you know, think of the film Castaway, he creates the character, Tom Hanks, who's stranded on this island with no human contact, creates 
in a volleyball the character of Wilson, who then becomes real to him, an imaginary friend who he psychologically depends on for survival, for sanity. I have to imagine that I would be in a similar state. Anyone would. And probably I would use my storytelling techniques to create characters that entertained me and kept me company. And they would probably become real to me over time. Hell, to some extent, fictional characters are real to us. Our psychological response to them emotionally is identical to our psychological response to real people that we have affection for. So if you if you love Rey in Star Wars or you love Luke Skywalker, you really do love those characters. That is not an illusion. You really do have those feelings for them in the same way that you would have those feelings for a real person. So in a manner of speaking, fictional characters are real. But on another level, they're kind of real to me even though I know they're fiction, and uh, if only because they matter a great deal. So that's an interesting question to ask yourself. I've given you a couple ways to suggest the scenario. What is all this about? What is this about? This is about, am I doing what I should be doing? Have I made a mistake? You know. These are the questions that are always circulating through our thoughts, and uh, Uncle G would say, uh, you need to purge all doubt and fear. Fear and doubt are dead to me. So I'm not going to ask that question of myself anymore. There is no, did I make a mistake? Should I have done this? Should I have done that? It's done. It's in the past. It's past tense. There's nothing more to be said. What we have is now and moving forward and what we're doing next. So I'm endeavoring to look at things that way, but I think what's reassuring to me about that thought experiment is that this is a purpose. This is a purpose that I am following, and I have to see it through. So. What's on the agenda today? Well, today is one of my contractor days, so I must find ways to bring incredible value to my client, which is my former company. So, and one of the challenges there is that there's not always work immediately available. So what I'm working on today is figuring out ways I can bring value on my own. So I'm going to keep working on that. And... I've got a pretty long list of things I want to accomplish this week. I spent pretty much all of yesterday journaling about what do I need to accomplish for September? What do my targets need to be? I spent a lot of time on Cardone University yesterday going through his financing course, which is absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, yeah. It's going to be an aggressive production schedule. Garrett Bettencourt's studio has a lot of work to do in the next month. I'm a little concerned. We're always afraid we're going to repeat our past mistakes. Whatever 
negative experience we once had, we are fearful that we are doomed to repeat it. And this is, of course, a lie that our ego loves to tell us. So naturally, I listed all the things I want to accomplish this week. And I thought, I'm doing it again. I'm saddling myself with all this stuff. And it's going to overwhelm me. And I'm going to burn out. And I'm going to panic. And nothing's going to get done. But I have to believe I've turned some kind of corner. It's the craziest thing. I was on my mentoring call, listening to the recording, I should say, of my mentoring call a couple of, from a couple of weeks ago. And there was a business owner who was growing rapidly. His business was doing over $50 million in sales, and he was growing so fast he'd started multiple new businesses and... You know, he was feeling overwhelmed and his employees were feeling overwhelmed. And he asked Grant, uh, you know, what should I do if my people are feeling overwhelmed? And Grant said, first of all, if your people are feeling like they have too much to do, give them more. And he said, because they don't know what their limits are. And this will show them that they're capable of more than they think they're capable of just so crazy. It's one of the reasons I love this maniac. He's so counter conventional wisdom. And then the second thing he said is never let them see you feeling overwhelmed or looking overwhelmed. Never say to your people as a leader of a company that you're overwhelmed or there's too much to do or we're really overloaded like, you know, because you're capable of more than you realize. So even this week, as I've been looking at my list of things to do and thinking, oh my God, that's too much. I can't get it all done. I thought I should give myself more. Maybe that's a terrible idea. But I have faith that I've made the right decision and that I'm focusing on the right things. I need to sit down and do my work, and my work is creating content, and my content right now is Blood and Oak and Galaxy Born. What else I have to work on after that is immaterial. I am committed to making these things a success, and I am now defining success as I did my work and I completed it, whether or not it's something whether or not it's any good, whether or not it's something that people are gonna love, that's outside my control. All I can do is be the best story creator I can and endeavor in my work by doing my work to create something that is gonna be powerful and awesome for people. I can't control whether that's the result. I can only control whether I did my best to create it. So that is the work I am doing.